Welcome to Coward's Fury. It's a super special episode because it's our 50th. Oh, that's right. And I'm Charles. And I'm Chris. So make sure you share us with your furious friends. Just copy the link and text it to everyone you know so we can have 50 more episodes. But first, Charles wants to do a shout out. I do. I can't so, wait. A shout out to Randy. And I want to say his last name is like Randy the Razor, <laughs> but that's not true. And it's interesting because so many people will email us and they'll share their last name. And I would have, I, I kind of questioned it, but I'll often do some internet searches, or maybe even reply. And it's like, this kind of feels legit. So sure, it's, you know, it could be someone impersonating someone else, but it just doesn't feel that way. So Randy... Well, at least um, our fan Randy had just said it. Thanks, uh, thanks uh, for continuing to do the show. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. I'm always excited when you drop a new new episode. But Randy um, at least claims to have one of those last names, which I won't share. Um, but that is like a first name, and so I start thinking like, oh, how do you how do you deal with that? You have to be really careful as a parent when you're naming, you know, your child, and 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 then. Sometimes you'll see their last name, comma, first name, and it's like, what's your name? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, like anybody with the last name Ryan. Sure, or Alan. Right. Or there's a lot of them out there. I just I can't think of any, but it's like there's a – wow. So, Randy, uh, you're welcome. Thanks, and, and And sorry that your name's kind of fucked up. It's all right. I mean, oh. Thanks Maybe you for, should edit that. Sorry that you have a first name and a first name. Excellent. Thanks for writing in. Appreciate it. Right. So the next thing we have to do is talk about Zencaster because we have to. We really love it. It's easy uh, and it's kind of fun to use. They work with podcasts of all sizes. So no matter where you are in your podcasting journey, Zencaster will be a great fit for you. If you've thought about podcasting before and if you think you need like a lot of different tools and equipment and all that stuff, with Zencaster, you don't need any of that at all. It's an all-in-one podcasting platform. You can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify or Apple or all the other major destinations. So go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code CowardsFury and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs because it's time to share your story. And we don't have to shout out. We just use Zencaster and it works. Yeah. So and I would save a little to... coin and yeah. do a podcast and yes. you'll be like, I- I'm serious. Like, I'm not the brain trust of this organization here, <laughs> but I'm I'm also quite comfortable in saying, I figured it out. Yeah. I, I did. I figured it out. You did just fine. So... You know, we're talking about first name, first name. We do have a very exciting Halloween-geared episode. Yeah. And the last, the guy's last name is O'Brien. Mm-hmm. And I just wish his first name was Brian. Because of Randy. Well, Randy, we, the Randy, you know, our fan talked, Randy. He didn't say, and by the way, Randy didn't say he was our biggest fan. Right. Well, and we've talked about, I, I knew a kid named Brian O'Brien in high school. We talked about that on another episode. Yeah, well, he, he, he's never emailed us, so he doesn't, he's dead to me. He doesn't live in my world. I understand. Well, and if you're a person of a certain age, you might remember, you know, on Halloween night, that you'd get a bunch of candy, 
And your parents wouldn't let you eat any of that candy until it was fully inspected by an adult. Right, because those creeps put like razors in them and needles. That's what and... we were told. That wasn't the case, though. No, like no, I, I, no, it is. Okay. Found it on an X-ray when I worked for the police station. Right. No, it's true. Right. I, I remember that story. It was crazy. I was like, shit, it really happens. But at this time, it wasn't common. It didn't happen. Oh, because this was when. Well, we're going to get there. Oh. So if you're as unlucky as I was, your mom also followed you around while you would trick-or-treat with your friends to make sure you were safe, or more likely, to make sure you said trick-or-treat and thank you. But what happens... So wait, your mom followed you around? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My mom would just, like, smoke weed and just, like, not... That is so not true. No, it is. Oh, my God. I wasn't followed around. I was just gone. No, I... I was dressing up like the Ghostbusters, and I was out. Nope. Nope, not in my world. Yeah. So what happens if the very person that you should actually be afraid of is the person who's supposed to keep you safe? Your mom? Not in my case. Oh. Such was the case on one drizzly Halloween night in 1974 in Pasadena, Texas. I love it. Mm Mm-hmm. Ronald Clark O'Brien. See, O'Brien. O'Brien, with a Y. So sometimes you'll see O'Brien with an O-B-R-I-E-N. This is a Y. This is a Y. Can it be Ronald Orion? Ronald Orion? Ronald R. Orion. It's just O'Brien. Yeah. He was born October 19th, 1944 in Houston, Texas. So I'm just going to... Yeah, so I'm just going to say I don't have a lot of information about his early life, so it must have been rather mundane, so we'll move on. He probably killed cats and shit. I don't know. He did. Uh, maybe. Was he in the military? Uh, he, No. All right. No. Good. That's good. The all-grown-up O'Brien lived with his wife, Daneen. De- say it again. Daneen. <laughs> I've never heard that name until I, just now. I've actually never I've heard I've never heard either. that name. If there's anyone out there listening and your name's Daneen, can you please just email us? Yeah, that would be great. You can even say I suck and I will say it. Yeah. Daneen says we suck. Carousefury at gmail.com. It's all good. Yeah. Really. So they lived in... Dear- I like the fan mail. We don't get, all, we don't get a crazy amount. But we, no, we, we get a we, little bit. We get like a dozen a or... I don't know. I feel like we get like a dozen or so a week. Yeah. It's good. It's fun. I like reading them. Uh, they lived in Deer Park, Texas with their son, Timothy, and daughter, Elizabeth. O'Brien worked as an optician at Texas State Optical in Sharpstown, Houston, close to Houston. He was also a deacon at the Second Baptist Church, where he sang in the choir and ran a local bus program. Sounds like a stand-up guy, doesn't he? I know a guy that's trying to be a deacon right now. That's right, we do. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you know him, too. Yes, I do. And I know he doesn't listen to the show, so I'm just going to say it. The standards aren't high. <laughs> I kind of thought you were going to go there. <laughs> They're not. Right. He, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot There's a lot to say with that. Yeah, there there really is. But you kind of so, have to know so, the guy, so. so I'm, just, I'm just saying, I know the guy, and the Catholic Church should know the guy, so it doesn't take a lot to be a deacon. Right. Well, on October 31st, 1974, the O'Briens, like I said, Ronald, his wife, Daneen, and their two children. Ronald. Joined family friends, Jim Bates, his wife, and Whoa, their like two Bates children. Bates Motel. Kind of, yeah. Holy shit. For, uh, this is getting serious. For dinner, and they had pot roast. Because who didn't in the 70s? 
Everyone did. It was a little bit of a reunion of sorts. Just a few months prior, the O'Briens had sold their home and moved into an apartment in the less desirable part of town, which was Deer Park. Right, over in Deer Park. Yeah, that's it's less desirable. Less desirable. Unlike Moose Park. Moose Park. (laughs) Which is really the higher end. Okay. People that live there are high up. In Moose Park. In organizations. Oh, I gotcha. They're the high ups. High ups. Oh, yeah. Well, the O'Briens had been having some money trouble. After a it's nice, the dude's an optician. He's an optician. Does that, that means I fit you for glasses and sell them, sell them to you, and make like piece rate profit when I sell you expensive frames. Maybe. I think that's what opticians do. Maybe. Or they just all get like eight bucks an hour. I don't know. Like that's not a super high paying job. I don't think it's a super high paying job. Gotcha. No. Well, after a nice dinner and smiles and full bellies, O'Brien took his two children trick or treating, as one would on Halloween night in Pasadena, like in their old neighborhood, just like old times. Bates Hotel. I'm sorry. I'm stuck on this. It's like the 70s. It's Halloween and bad shit's going to happen. Bates Hotel. Did that? I thought that was a 60s flick. I'm just correlating that, the slasher thing with- I got you. Halloween and our podcast. And our podcast. About Mr. O'Brien. Right. The O'Briens and the Bates uh, accompanied the children. That Halloween night, as many are, it was drizzly and soggy, and it wasn't very long before the younger of the two O'Brien siblings was ready to kind of call it a night. So Elizabeth returned to the Bates' house with O'Brien and his son continuing on with the other family. They came upon a house that looked like it might be a good one, but it was dark and it had no lights on. The children went up anyway and rang the bell. No one answered because when the lights are off, you don't, doesn't think no one's doing anything. And the children grew impatient and just ran ahead to the next home. But O'Brien stayed behind. He eventually caught up with the group and produced five 21 inch, those are the giant ones, pixie sticks. O'Brien congratulated Bates for having such rich neighbors and said, look what they're giving out, referring to the giant pixie sticks. I love sticks. the rich neighbors. I know, right? The full-size candy bars. It was and like stuff. the best candy bar you ever, ever got, like, as a kid. The best one? I had a neighbor who gave out one of the big, giant, huge Hershey's bars. Not the full-size ones. There's so many sizes now. There's. It was the big, massive one. A king-sized? No, not even the king size. It was like the... The s'mores-sized. No. Like I don't the, know. I don't like know. The what pound one. Well, you lived in a very affluent neighborhood. I didn't. We'd get like one like Tootsie Roll. Oh, I had neighbors that gave one Tootsie Roll as well. Yeah. Yeah. And some asshole would always give... No, I'm serious. Yeah. I would always find a, ru- a I don't know why. I, there's always. I'm serious. Don't be an asshat and give out a toothbrush. Oh, we got those all the time. Or a box of raisins. Or. or oh my god. Like, no, keep like, your damn box like, of raisins to yourself. I don't know what it was, but like a small rubber duck. Yeah. Who? What does that mean? You remember UNICEF? And who does that? Remember UNICEF? Did you ever do the UNICEF boxes? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh my god. What do you mean? So when I was a kid, they, the school would give out these UNICEF boxes. They almost looked like um, the old-fashioned animal cracker boxes. And it had like a picture of a starving kid on it and a little slot for coins. So you would go trick-or-treating and you'd get candy and ask for coins for UNICEF. What the heck? Did you go to like some ca- – you're Catholic. Well, I was brought up Catholic. Yeah. I'm a recovering Catholic. Well, I'm not – I've never <laughs> freaking heard of that until tonight. Yeah. UNICEF. Uh, nope. Never heard of it. Wow. Okay. Fine. I'm good. Good on you for doing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and my mom, because she liked for us to be dorks, would put strings on them and put them around our necks. 
so we wouldn't forget them. Your mom sounds like a hard lady. Well, mm, harsh lady. So, Moving so, on. so, so, what? I, what I will say though is, we would ask, and I was, I was like, I was like the kid. We were all the kids, at least in my friend group, where we would like, they'd be like, oh, please take one, and we just emptied like whatever bowl was there. However, we would also have this like thing. We'd be like, oh, we're also collecting candy for the troops. No, we were lying. We were totally lying. No, and this is a this is a true story. So then we're like, look at like we got look at, like double the candy because we like we like, and the, and then one of my friends was like, my dad was in the navy, and and this actually was kind of a lie, but he was like, I got he got the Agent Orange, and so like what he his dad had uh, muscular sclerosis, and he was in the navy, and his dad was really proud of that. Multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis. That's what I said. Yeah, it is. And so. At the end of the day, we ended up giving our candy. We like gave like all the findings plus some to the troops, which was really hard for us. Oh, so it was kind of like a cool thing. So, you, so we started, started with a scam. Being an asshole. We did. We totally did. And then we kind of ended up like, no, like we're yeah, doing this cute. thing. Yeah. So okay. it was good. So we started that at like I think we we're like ten. Nice. Yeah. Nice. We did it for a couple of years. So well, we always had the one UNICEF bucks. Never heard yes. of that. We always had the one neighbor that gave us a roll of pennies. Which is pretty much only good for putting in the bottom of your pillowcase and beating your sibling with. Just saying. I know, right? Yep. Moving on. At the end of the evening, O'Brien gave each of his neighbor's two children a pixie sticks and one each to Timothy and Elizabeth. This next detail is just like a little bit fuzzy. It either happened while at the O'Brien, while the O'Briens were still at the Bates's house, which I think sounds most plausible, right? Or shortly after they got home to their own apartment. But either way, it doesn't really matter. Another group of sort of droopy wet kids showed up to collect some sweets. O'Brien gave most of them some gum and then held up the fifth pixie stick and asked the group who wanted it. Ten-year-old Whitney Parker recognized O'Brien from his church, and when he spoke up to let him know, he won the prize. Before bed, Timothy asked to eat some of the candy he collected, and according to Ronald, he chose the pixie sticks as that was the favorite haul of the evening. Timothy had trouble getting the powdered candy out of the straw because it was clumped up at the end, so O'Brien helped him to loosen the powder by crushing it between his fingers. After tasting the candy, Timothy complained that it tasted bitter. O'Brien then gave his son Kool-Aid to wash it down with, father of the year. Timothy almost immediately began to complain, yelling after his father saying, Daddy, Daddy, my stomach hurts. And then ran to the bathroom where he began vomiting and, and convulsing. Tim- and how old was Timothy? Eight. Yeah. O'Brien later claimed that he held Timothy while he was vomiting, and then the child just went limp in his arms. Timothy O'Brien died en route to the hospital less than an hour after consuming the candy. So here's a quote. It was just a coincidence that I was working the police intake that night, says former Harris County prosecutor Mike Hinton. Decades later on the phone from Houston, I got a call from the Pasadena Police Department. They told me an eight-year-old boy had died. He was rushed to the hospital, but he'd already passed. So that's just something to hold on to, that this guy was on call, essentially, and heard that this had happened. So keep that in your mind. Roger that. The impact on the community was immediate. Parents took Halloween candy from their children and turned it into the police, fearing that it could be poisoned, which, frankly, is reasonable. Fortunately, none of the other children that got the other four pixie sticks ingested the laced candy elizabeth didn't want hers mrs bates had told her children that they had to wait because she didn't want them to mess up the house with spilled powder 
Incidentally, Mr. Bates said he'd almost been tempted to swipe one for himself. Ooh. And little Whitney Parker's parents became hysterical when police contacted them because they initially couldn't find the giant pixie sticks. As it turned out, the boy had trouble opening it and fell asleep with the candy right beside him. Oh, man. I know. Talk about dodging a bullet. Yeah, glad that kid's not a go-getter. I know, I know. Hey, hey, good job to be lazy, boy. (laughs) So all the candy was retrieved in the kind of the wee hours of the morning before any of the others had a chance to eat it. And it it was retrieved, all the candy was retrieved. Because because that kid got died from poisoning, right? He did. Halloween night. Halloween night. Eating Halloween candy. We didn't know what kind of candy, so just haul it all in. Yep, haul it all in. Yeah. So the morning after Halloween... And this this wasn't like... You're right. Like, these are urban tales, you know. Well, and 70s, it does... Ha- it did happen, obviously. It, this well, is, this and I is, think in later years it happened. But in the 70s, that was not common for razor blades and pins and to it's, be found in candy you know, and it's, it's here and there, and it's awful. And these people are... They, nothing... I, I'm angry. I'm actually getting angry thinking about it. But, I know. But this was very abnormal. Yes. At that time. It was. So people were kind of freaking out. Yeah. So the morning after Halloween, police had O'Brien try to retrace the group's steps to try to ascertain where the tainted candy had come from. Brian initially told police that he couldn't remember which house he got the pixie sticks from, which is bullshit. If you get five full-size pixie sticks, 21-inch pixie sticks, you're going to remember the house that you I got know them the, from. I know the house that gave king-size yes. candy bars to my Still kids. Still to this day. Like 15 years yes. ago, 10 years ago, yes. five years ago. I know who's doing it and not. That's right. I really do. Mm-hmm. Later that same day, O'Brien spoke to the media, of course, telling them, quote, Timothy was all boy. He loved football, basketball, anything. He never met a stranger. But I have my peace knowing Tim is in heaven now. Does that sound scripted or what? This guy's a creep. Yep. Bastard. But police became suspicious because... He killed his own kid. I mean, I I don't know that. I haven't read ahead, but I'm, I'm feeling it. But police became suspicious because O'Brien and his neighbor had only taken their children to homes on two streets due to the rainy weather. The police further learned that none of the homes they visited had given out pixie sticks because they went to every single home. Yeah, good. After walking the neighborhood with police three times, O'Brien led them to a home where no one had answered, the home where he said that no one had answered the door initially. O'Brien claimed that he went back there after catching up with the group he said the owner of the home did not turn the lights on, but listen to this. He did crack the door open and hand him five pixie sticks. He claimed to only have seen the man's arm, which he described as hairy. It was a hairy arm. It was a hairy arm. The home was owned by a man named Courtney Melvin. Melvin was an air traffic controller at William P. Hobby Airport and did not get home until from work until after 11 p.m., on Halloween night, police ruled Melvin out as a suspect. <laughs> this is crazy. Over 200 people confirmed that he had been at work They're until like, We're after not, 11. We don't believe these first 20 or 50 <laughs> or 100. Honestly, they, they went all the way. The, I, I will tell you, this is an example of really good police work here. So just so you know. Further, after recovering all five of the laced pixie sticks, police de- determined that the tops of the straws had been cut open. The top two Inches of the 21-inch long sticks had been filled with potassium cyanide, folded over, and stapled. Like, with a staple from a staple gun. Like, Forget the hot glue gun. Oh, my God. So this was, like, as I said, good police work. Yeah, Otherwise, they found them. Yeah. yeah, other people could have died. Yeah, yeah. 
Police by this time had also discovered that O'Brien was heavily in debt. He had about $100,000 in debt due, which is about $600,000 in today's Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How do you borrow that much on, like... An optician's salary? As a sunglasses salesman. (laughs) I didn't even think of sunglasses lately. Yeah, I got nothing. Like, that's... That's a lot. That's a lot. He also had trouble holding down a job. In his previous 10 years, get this, the man had 21 different jobs. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. That's more than two jobs a year. He had lost jobs for a variety of reasons, but the job he held at the time of his arrest, which was, I think I stated this earlier, the Texas State Optical, was accusing him of theft and about to fire him. Was he stealing? Sunglasses. Yeah, probably. I don't know. He had already defaulted in several bank loans, an and idiot. his and his car was about to be repossessed. Yeah, he's an idiot. The family home had also been foreclosed on. So remember, I mentioned yeah, that shortly were, after yeah. the Halloween candy murder, the family had sold or before they had sold their home and moved into an apartment. That's why the O'Brien's life was going south fast. O'Brien needed to find a way out of such oppressive debt. Um, yeah, it's called. Bankruptcy, moron. I know. As many people do. Kill your kid, you claim bankruptcy. I know. I'm pretty... I'm, I'm upset about this one. You are. You're getting agitated. I am. As many people do when they're... What the s- hell? It's not hard to claim bankruptcy in the 70s. No. It's it probably like one piece easier. of paper. It's like one piece of paper. Way easier back then. And you, like, and you weren't God, held liable for like shit. any of your debt. Right? I know. I'm... Take a deep breath. You need some calming music? I can arrange that. I mean, it's just a kid. Yeah. it's You're not going to get any happier. I'm just going to tell you. So as many people do when they're sick and twisted, O'Brien took out life insurance policies on his children shortly before the murders because he's also a moron. In January of 1974, O'Brien took out a $10,000 insurance policies on both of his children. They were healthy five- and eight-year-old kids at the time. That's about $60,000 in today's money, right? Making things more suspicious, because this guy was, you know, as I mentioned, not a genius, O'Brien took out another $20,000 policy on both kids, only one month before Timothy's death. So that's about $120,000 in today's dollars. Then, despite objections from the insurance company, O'Brien took out Another $20,000 on each child. He also did this without his wife's knowledge as he'd forged her signature. Hell of a guy. I know there's nothing to say. Yeah, except idiot. Yeah. Just after Timothy's death, while his body was waiting to be taken to the funeral home, Prosecutor Hinton, remember we talked about him earlier, called Joseph A., and I'm going to butcher this name, but I'm going to go for it, Jack Mizick. Jackimzik. 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 I got it. Check me off. No, 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 no. <laughs> so. Joseph. I'm just going to call him Dr. A- Joseph. Jack me off. No, that's not it. Jackimzik. Jackimzik. He was the, uh, the chief medical examiner of nearby Harris County who was performing Timothy's autopsy. Hinton, who was anxious to kind of get his case going, he asked the Emmy, and this is what he said. This is his quote. I told him the situation, and he asked 
what the young man's breath was smelled like. What the hell was that? It was a deep southern Texan accent. Okay. I've been studying that for this show. I apologize to every deep southern Texas person. Oh my gosh. They'd be like, are are you my neighbor? Are you my neighbors? (laughs) I had a six shooter in my my side handle bar mustache when I said that. Oh, all right. I'll have to superimpose that over your face. Yo, Samity Sam. Oh my God. Well, a call to the morgue revealed that there was the scent of almonds coming from the boy's oh, mouth. Oh, yeah. It's cyanide, said Dr. Jakimsik. <laughs> You're still going with it. I did. Probably still saying it wrong, but I'm pretty proud of myself for getting that far. So potassium cyanide can often leave behind the smell of almonds, which is considered to be a telltale sign of the poison. About 60% of the human population possesses the gene allowing them to smell the bitter almond scent, while the balance of the population can't detect the odor at all. So if you're 40% lucky as a murderer, you get an Emmy who can't smell it. During the... (laughs) Yeah. Okay, you did that real quick. (laughs) Whatever. Though I'm still confused, what she said was right, and I just need a few days to absorb it. (laughs) That's not true. During the investigation, O'Brien's wife maintained that she did not know about the insurance policies on her children's lives. Police also learned that on the morning after Timothy's death, O'Brien had called his insurance company to inquire about collecting on the policies that he'd taken out on his son. Because there's no time like the present. The insurance company He gets like the donkey award oh my of God. the He's year. He's so dumb. He's so dumb. The insurance company smelled like, something Like, why wouldn't foul. you just go rob a bank or go rob a store? I, honestly, I... I don't, I, I don't understand. That makes two of us, and probably many more of us to those who are listening. Well, the insurance company figured something was up. They're like, this doesn't feel right. They called the police to know... Um, right, you know what insurance don't want to do? you money right that's so, their whole purpose it is and so they called the police to let them know that the police know that they were also suspicious. did you know they're for profit and want to take your money they want to take your money not give you take no they want to take all the money gosh i know i know oh so additionally jim bates remember he's the neighbor that they went trick-or-treating with was also worried he would later say that um as he was a pallbearer at timothy's funeral and in observing O'Brien as he, you know, worked the room and talked to people, he watched the man literally walk in, like into his son's casket as though he was oblivious to its presence, like he bumped into it. He later told reporters, quote, at that point, I knew something was wrong. So his friend is now suspecting him. After learning that O'Brien had visited a chemical supply store in Houston to buy cyanide shortly before Halloween 1974, which, incidentally, he left without purchasing anything after learning that the smallest amount available to purchase was five pounds. Too much money. <laughs> He's like, I don't need no five actually, pounds. And, and I actually don't know this. Can you buy cyanide today anywhere? You can, but you have to have a license. Oh. Like, there's a whole thing around it. But, yes. You have to have a license to do radon mitigation, so it doesn't take a friggin' no. brain trust to get a license. No. However, it's tracked. I think that's the point. Yes, it's tracked. So back tried. back in the seventies, like forty some years ago, you could just go buy five just, pounds. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's funny. It's fifty years ago, actually. You could just go, well. Would you like five pounds? That'd be five dollars. 
Well, he didn't need five pounds. No, he wasn't spending the money. So police at this point began to suspect that Ronald O'Brien had laced the candies with the poison. How do you know you need a license for this? See, Chris knows everything, furious listeners. Because if you even Google it, like... See what I'm saying? She's Googled it. I haven't. I Google a lot of stuff. I know. It's kind of sad, actually. Like, watch. What's the average lifespan of a fox? I have no idea. Three years? Like, I don't know. Like, we should Google that and check. I'm telling you it's right, right now. Let's Google it. Okay. I'm going to keep telling this story you while you Google the lifespan of a fox. So, okay. So, so police are suspecting that Three O'Brien... to four years. I swear to God. Like, how did you know that? This is what I'm trying to say. I have a lot of useless information. All of, uh, I, 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 I don't even know why I came up with that. I have no freaking idea. I asked this random question, and it, it, it's It's accurate. We're going to do this every show. I'm just saying. Every show? That's the big... That is actually the 50th episode reveal. Oh, that you're going to quiz me on some random piece yeah, of knowledge? Yeah, random shit. We're going to see how many she gets right. Oh, gosh. No pressure. It's not going to be animal related either. It's oh. going to... I don't even know what it's going to be. Okay. That's terrifying. I'll I'll go with it, though. For it'll the be, sake it'll of be the like, show. Is a tomato a fruit or vegetable? It's a fruit. Right. So you should know why. Because it's seeds. But I'm just saying. But everybody of, knows that. Oh, oh, that's that was a shitty question. Can you just erase that? Sure. Thank you. So again, police began to suspect O'Brien had laced the candies with the poison in an effort to kill his children to collect on their life insurance policies. They believed he gave the other children poison candy in an effort to cover up his crime. Right? Send him on a wild goose chase. What a deacon. He's a dumbass. Police repeatedly questioned O'Brien, but he maintained his innocence. Granted a warrant, a search of the O'Brien house offered up a pair of scissors with plastic residue attached to them, which was similar to that found on the cyanide-laced sweets. And 4.99 pounds of cyanide. Yeah, don't right. Police were not able to figure out where, when, or how O'Brien purchased the cyanide. They asked him to take a polygraph. They asked him to take a polygraph, which he did and promptly failed. While polygraphs are not admissible, they are often used as tools to tell police if they're on the right track or not. In this case, they were. On November 5th, 1974, so this is literally five days after Timothy's death, O'Brien was arrested for his own son's murder. Good on the police. Yeah. O'Brien was arraigned and indicted on four counts of attempted murder and one count of capital murder. He entered pleas of not guilty to all five counts, because he's stupid. O'Brien's trial was set to start on and that's May... And that's a factual quote. Because <laughs> he's stupid part, yeah. <laughs> uh, that wasn't my add-in at all. No. So his trial was set to start on May 5th, 1975 in Houston. During his trial, O'Brien would discover he had no ride-or-die friends in his life. A chemist who knew O'Brien testified that O'Brien had asked him a year before Timothy's death, so he's been planning this for a while... How much cyanide is fatal to humans? Great, because they didn't have the internet then. Right. Another man, a chemical supply salesman, testified that he was approached by O'Brien to ask how he could purchase potassium cyanide. Further, friends and family members testified to O'Brien's sudden and unusual interest in the poison and would talk about how much it would take to kill a person. His sister-in-law and brother-in-law told the jury on the day of Timothy's funeral O'Brien talked about how he would spend the money from his child's life insurance policy. He's going to take a long vacation. He's going to purchase some stuff. Finally, 
his wife, said that not only did she not know about the insurance policies, on the night Timothy died, it wasn't Timothy who chose the pixie sticks at his, for his nighttime treat. It was O'Brien insisting that little Timothy eat the treat and wash it down with Kool-Aid. Like I said, this dumbass, rightfully so, has no ride or die friends in his life. Thank God. O'Brien throughout his trial claimed innocence. His defense attorneys tried to make it look like everyone was clinging to a, quote, mad poisoner urban legend concerning a madman who would fill Halloween candy with poison or razor blades or needles and candy apples, and that's why people were blaming O'Brien. It was the urban legend defense. Can you believe that? I can believe it. It was the 70s. Anyway, it wasn't a very effective one. And I never got an apple. for. Did you ever get an apple for Halloween? Oh, yeah. Really? Yes. Yes, all the freaking time. Rich people give away apples. App, app, no. That's I didn't not, say they were cool. No, they were shitty lunchbox size, like cheap, mealy, been sitting in their kitchen for six weeks apples. I throw that shit away. I, I, never, I never, I never got an apple. Nobody's going to eat a fucking apple for Halloween. No. No, I'm no. sorry. Nope. The apple went with the raisins and the toothbrush. Right in the trash. Yep. That's it. So due in part to this really outlandish defense strategy, people from across the country became interested in the case and the trial. The media would dub O'Brien, quote, the candy man, while others would call him the man who killed Halloween, which I think the candy man name was stupid. He wasn't is, the candy it man. It is stupid. What a stupid name. Well, because there is a candy man, serial yeah, killer. I, Dean I know. Cole. Wait, he was, he really was the candy man. He was a, he was a piece of crap. Oh, he was an absolute piece of crap. But he was actually like a chocolatier, like he made candy. Anyway, he was just, really what O'Brien was, was just some pathetic excuse of a human being and nothing more. June 3rd, 1975 would be O'Brien's day of reckoning, at least from a court perspective. The jury took a whopping 46 minutes to return a finding of guilty of capital murder for the murder of his own son, Timothy, and four counts of attempted murder. They took another 71 minutes well, you know, not quite twice that, to declare his death sentence by way of electrocution. I got nothing. Okay. I, I don't. I. I mean, it's I that. Just, it's that fast. Yeah. Sometimes. No. Like, I'm. I'm absorbing this. Like, good job on you, jury. Peers. Right. Seventy-one minutes later. I mean, it's. Oh, I, I, I know. I'm getting a look. Like, what? What are you doing? Are you zoning out? And I'm going like. No. Well, sometimes I you go, you look stuff up and... There's nothing to look up. I'm, I'm just like... Okay. Okay. Except, you know, how old a fox is? What does a fox say? Three to three to four years. <laughs> I got three to four years to live my best life. I don't know. You know the song. I know the song. Okay. It also didn't take long for Daneen to divorce... Daneen! To divorce this asset. She would later remarry and have, and she would have her new husband adopt their daughter. She has asked the media and family to respect her privacy and that of her daughter by not revealing their new names publicly. And that's as it should be. They've it been is. through enough. Leave them the hell alone. From 1965 until 1999, men who were sentenced to death under the Texas law were kept in the Ellis unit about 12 miles north of Huntsville. This was, was death row. This was death, death row. Death row. 
Reverend Carol Pickett, who worked for a time with the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, would report that O'Brien was largely shunned by the other inmates. They hated him for murdering his own child. I mean, there's, we, it's true. Child abusers don't get much love behind bars, at least not the kind of love anyone wants. Pickett reported that O'Brien was, quote, absolutely friendless, to the point the inmates petitioned the warden to allow them to hold an organized demonstration to express their hatred of the man on the day of his execution. That's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> like, when all the other bad people hate your ass that much, I, yeah, I don't know. And uh, as but it happened fast. This wasn't like, yes, he wasn't like on death row for a long time. It was quick. It would have taken like, well, no, him dying takes a few more years. So let's hop actually right into that. As is most often the case, O'Brien's execution would be delayed several times. It was originally scheduled for August 8th, 1980, but was successfully fought off by his attorney. The next date to come and go would be May 25th, 1982. The judge in that case, Michael McSpadden, because you have to love the name McSpadden, or is it Max Spadden? Max Spazen. He scheduled O'Brien's third date on October 31st, 1982, on the eighth anniversary of Timothy's murder by father, perhaps hoping for some poetic justice. He even said he would personally drive O'Brien to the death chamber. Who's driving to the chamber? The judge. Nice. Texas was using the lethal injection method by this time, and O'Brien would have been the first to receive an execution by lethal injection had the date not been pushed back yet again by the Supreme Court to give O'Brien's lawyers a chance to seek a new trial on the grounds that lethal injection was unconstitutional because it was cruel and unusual punishment, which is still an argument today. On March 28th... It's kind of a bad argument. I... I'm just putting it out there, but... I'm not allowed to ask an animal question next episode. You're going to ask another animal question? Yeah, I totally am. Oh, I thought you said they weren't going to be all animals. Moving forward. Oh, okay. How many calves can a moose birth? Probably one or maybe twins. Oh, God. So so seriously, I looked this up before I asked a question because I had no idea. It's one or two and typically, and not typically, but often they're twins. How did you know that? I'm so amused. This is great. I can't wait to ask the next questions. Totally on on animal related next time. Okay. That's so fun. Can we wait till next episode? Yeah, I'm just okay. saying it was hilarious. Like you knew they were twins. How does that is that possible? To me that feels very logical. Chris is going on Jeopardy. No. No, no, no. Okay, so on March 28th, a federal judge dis- uh, disagreed and set O'Brien's final date for March 31st, 1984. On that date, shortly after midnight, it o- happened. O'Brien it happened. spoke his last words. Hold on, because you're going to be real mad. Quote, what is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong! Exclamation point. This is him. Yeah, this is him. However, we as human beings do make mistakes and errors. This execution is one of those wrongs, yet doesn't mean our whole system of justice is wrong. Therefore, I would forgive all who have taken part in any way in my death. Also, to anyone I have offended in any way during my 39 years, 
I pray and ask for your forgiveness, just as I forgive anyone who offended me in any way. This is, and I pray, this is, this is interesting. Yeah. And I pray and ask God's forgiveness for all of us respectively as human beings. To my loved ones, because he thinks he has any, I, expend, I extend my undying love. To those close to me, know in your hearts, I love you one and all. God bless you all, and may God's best blessings be always yours. Ronald C. O'Brien. P.S. Yes, he put a P.S. on there. During my time here, I've been treated well by all TDC personnel. O'Brien's last meal was a T-bone steak, medium to well done. Who does any kind of steak well done? O'Brien. Just a sign of a dick. French fries and ketchup, whole kernel corn, sweet peas, lettuce and tomato salad with egg and French dressing, iced tea, sweetener, saltines, Boston cream pie, and rolls. And I want to know how he ate all that. I just think we should have given him pixie sticks. I agree. We should have given him pixie sticks. Only. That's it. At the time of his execution, a crowd of around 300 demonstrators, which did not consist of inmates. That was, another, not, that was another group. <laughs> they were not allowed to, to do it. Gathered outside the prison. There were demonstrators on both sides of the death penalty issue. Some shouted, trick or treat, because that's cute, during the execution, and others threw candy at anti-death penalty crowd. That's bad. Regardless, the man who killed Halloween was now dead himself. So this is the part where I wish I could tell you more about the people that were left behind. While I'm fascinated at this sort of twisted psychology and insane ability for humans to do terrible things to each other, I hold this at odds with the resiliency and ability for humans to keep loving and living. What I do hope is that Danine and Elizabeth are thriving. I hope that Danine and her husband and Elizabeth have been able to lead happy lives filled with joy and innocence that they deserve and peace and a way to honor Timothy's life. I chose this case because holidays are special. They hold special meaning for all of us in different ways. Halloween and autumn are my favorites. Someone being touted as the man who killed Halloween should be debunked as a crazy dipshit who was just looking for a quick way out of debt, even if that meant murdering his own child. Doesn't matter what the day is, it's sickness regardless. So that's why I chose this case, and it really made me mad. Made me, I'm not happy. Made you mad too. Uh, yeah, I'm not happy at all. So that's it. Don't let the crazies get you down, furious followers. Halloween to your heart's content. Yeah, get, get plenty of king-size Hershey bars. That's it. Because you know what? Halloween is alive and well. That's right. Candy up. <laughs> <laughs>